You have two days to get into our podcast league, a 12-team head-to-head points league. Welcome, everybody, to the CBSSports.com Fantasy Baseball Podcast, Tuesday, March 6th. We will be announcing the winners. Really, you'll be losers pretty soon <laughs> when you're playing against us uh, of the you know the whole raffle here. So send us an email. Put podcast league in the subject line and send it to fantasybaseball at cbsinteractive.com. How was everybody's weekends? Are you charged up? I know it's Tuesday, but we haven't spoken since Thursday. Are you ready for this podcast? There are so many guys to talk about here. Yeah, I was telling you earlier, I could go on and on and on with sleepers. Probably going to have to limit it to my favorite 8 or 10, which, <laughs> which shows you, if that's limiting it, that yeah, that shows you how much depth and is I'm, at this position. Yeah, and I'm still scanning my list. I'm still, sleepers are just popping out all over the place. So Yeah, well, I'm going to try to lump guys together, put them in the same categories, and so we can just pick the ones who we like. But we'll try our best to get through everything. We won't take your emails today, but we'll get back to that tomorrow when we look at relievers. Again, it's fantasybaseball at cbsinteractive.com. Follow us on Twitter at almelkcbs, A-L-M-E-L-C-C-B-S, to follow Al Milk, you are. For Scott White, it's at CBS Scott White. For me, at Adam Azer, A-I-Z-E-R, at CBS Fantasy BB, and Facebook.com slash CBS Sports Fantasy Baseball. So I actually sent out a little Twitter note earlier today. I said, we're going to do our starting pitchers podcast. If anybody has uh, guys you want us to touch on, let us know. Got a few responses, and here's what we got. So we'll start with these, and then we'll get into the, you know, the crux of the show. Sean Field says, Kane... Carpenter, Gallardo, and Price. Which two of these and why? I like Gallardo and Price, and I like them without even thinking about it because they're going to give you a lot more strikeouts than the other two guys. Uh, Carpenter, I do, even though he's been a workhorse, I worry about durability because of all the innings. So I just think Gallardo and Price, they're going to give you the, the best overall value. Scott? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with most of that. I'll, I'll say go with Gallardo and Price also. Will Matthews wants to know, Scherzer, late-round value, right? And Granky Brewers sucky in 2012 means he's sucky, too? <laughs> uh, let's start with the Scherzer. <laughs> Caveman know, talk. It was a, it was a character <laughs> issue, you know, Twitter. Yeah. Um, there was a lot more to his question. But Scherzer, late-round value. Actually, he's going in the 12th-ish round, 11th round on average. Yeah, That's our it, average draft position. It's at a point where he could fall even later than that. And and I think he is a value if he falls really any later than that because um, you look at his numbers last year, there, there's really not much to explain what went wrong with his ERA. And, and remember just this time last year we were talking about him as a big breakout over his last 20 starts or something, had an ERA below 250, uh, still has great strikeout potential. His walk rate actually improved last year. So I think Scherzer uh, could be in line for a bounce back or maybe even a breakout season. Granky, sucky? Not sucky again. I think he'll be better. Um, and, yeah, wins might be a little harder to come by. But um, What's wrong with the Brewers? They could be good. Yeah, Braun's back, so that, that changes a lot, obviously. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Brewers won the division, quite honestly. Yeah, they could be good. They could be good. Uh, and then finally, Mark Brown says, Brandon Beachy, will he keep it up? He had a good year last year. Seems to get lost in fantasy talks. Not on this show he doesn't. No way is he going to get lost <laughs> on this. Lost in fantasy talks. I... An anecdote from our NL only auction. He went for I think it was twenty two dollars, maybe even twenty three. Wow. Giovanni Gallardo went for twenty one. Um, Josh Johnson went for eighteen. 
So uh, clearly he's on fantasy owners' radars. Yours um, especially. You really like him, right? I do really like him, but Brandon just Eugene. judging from that, I, I'm starting. I'm starting to get to the point with him where, at least if, if you're in a league where people really know their stuff, there's the potential he could go too early because my my concern with him is he pitched. He went seven innings only once all season. Um, seemed to run out of steep the deeper steam the deeper he went into games and uh, only had like 140 innings for the whole year. So I, I don't see him being a 200 inning guy this year. And uh, while I think he'll eventually get to that point, I'm not sure he'll make enough of the the leap this year to justify his draft position. Beachy or Ubaldo Jimenez, Al? Beachy. Beachy or Jordan Zimmerman? I'd give Beachy a slight edge there, too. Yeah. I, mean, I would know. agree with both of those um, comparisons. But, again, Beachy is a popular reach candidate, and I think there's a point where you can reach too far. Let's talk about some injuries before we get into the rest of it. Sean Markham, shoulder concerns? More? Yeah, um, and this was a thing that happened uh, a year ago in spring training, and it, this year it's reportedly a little bit more serious. And when you piggyback that onto the struggles that he had late last season, which were not, that I recall, injury-related by any reports, you really yeah. have to wonder because it was such a dramatic decline in his production. So there's just so many questions uh, around Markham. He may be ready for opening day, but at this point I'm, I'm downgrading him pretty significantly. At the same time, I think there's the potential to make too much of it because I know last spring Jair Jurgens had shoulder issues, didn't end up making his first start till March 12th, and ended up having an insanely good first half. Really, he didn't fall off till a knee injury in the second half. So uh, we're going to know a lot more, obviously, when, his, when Markham's examination is done. And uh, considering he's still a middle to late rounder, even before the shoulder injury came up, I don't know that I'd drop him that far in my rankings. Johan Santana, Adam Wainwright, Josh Johnson. So who do we feel good about going into 2000, well, <clears throat> 2012? Excuse me, Johan Santana, Adam Wainwright, Josh Johnson. I feel really good about Johnson and Wainwright because both seem to be coming back very strong from their injuries. Wainwright from Tommy John. Uh, and uh, yeah, Johnson's velocity is... Uh, oh, he's throwing gas the other day. Yeah, mid-90s. So uh, I feel really good about both of these guys. I think they both could wind up being steals because they're mid in mixed leagues. They're going you know, fifth, fifth, sixth, seventh round and later. They could be aces. My theory on Johnson, I, I know I've mentioned it before on the podcast, they shut him down so early with yeah. what seemed like such a minor injury at the time he suffered it. That I have a feeling they were just saving him up for this year when they knew they knew they were going to go all, all out for free agency with the opening up of the ballpark. They didn't want to take any chances with him last year, give him all the time he needs to get ready. They pretty much just punted on the 2011 season, and now I think he's going to be back. I think he's going to be an ace. I think uh, I, I've seen him drop outside the top 40 starting pitchers Whoa. in some leagues. I think that's crazy. We have him 21st. Yeah. But you look on some other websites. Well, I don't look on some other websites. I, he's this falling is the only one a, I need. He's <laughs> falling a long way. As for Wainwright, I wouldn't have any doubts about him coming back from Tommy John surgery. I just wonder because the innings limit thing has been brought up with him. I, I don't know that it's such a hard limit. It's just what he's comfortable with. But it's enough that I've downgraded him slightly among that tier of pitchers. What about Santana? 
Oh, he's going to make his first uh, Grapefruit League start uh, very shortly. And uh, no no problems, no setbacks so far. But, again, you have to exercise caution with him because it's been so long since he's pitched in a game, a major league game anyway. So, um, But, you know, he could be and actually is on track to be the Mets opening day starter. Wow. Yep. Um, so does that make him a mixed league candidate? Late. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, A.J. Burnett out two to three months. That's more for NL-only leagues. Uh, We have Corey Hart's injury. We'll try to get to that. I think uh, maybe on Thursday, after we finish the position previews, we'll look at some more of the injuries. But real quick, out three to four weeks, arthroscopic knee surgery. If you're drafting today or tomorrow, are you afraid of this injury for Corey Hart? Not really. Last year, I think he was dealing with an oblique strain. Early on, and, and that's much scarier to me. I think this is a definite timetable, and, and once he returns, he, he might need a week or two to to get back to playing. But mm-hmm. I think you'll have him for most of April. So let's go through the top 20 in Roto for starting pitchers. Roy Halladay is number one at $33. Clayton Kershaw is also at $33. He's number two. Justin Verlander's third, $31. Let me stop me right there. Justin Verlander was so much better than everyone in head-to-head leagues last year. He won the Cy Young. He had one of the best seasons ever. Why is he third? I wanted him first. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw that out there right now. Okay. But uh, so I'll, I'll let Al explain why he's third. All right, well, hang on. I got some some tire tracks here. I gotta gotta brush off here. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll I'll own it because yeah, I just I like uh, Halliday and Kershaw better. No question that Verlander was. Um, you know, had the best performance numbers last year, but it was really boosted by guess what? Low BABIP, really good, apparently good luck on on balls in play. I just don't see him repeating repeating that. He's a close third. So only one no hitter this year, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's the <laughs> thing. I mean, you look at his prior to last year. I mean, you could see this guy was building up to top five status. He's he's still relatively young. He pitches as deep into games as Halliday. His strikeout rate is better than Halliday. He's a strikeout per inning guy. And the the track record is what separates him from Kershaw to me, and the age and strikeouts are what separate him from Halliday to me. Um, you know, whether his ERA ri- rises half a run or not, I can deal with that. But well, right now, that's it, why I campaigned for him, number one. In CBSSports.com ADP, average draft position, it goes Halliday, Verlander, Kershaw. Which is probably how I would go because you can't go wrong with Halliday, right? I mean, he is no. so dependable. It right. just—it just—he's thirty-four now. I don't really think he's going to fall off, but that's getting to a point where you got to stop and think, think about the age thing. It's okay. okay. I, I feel like it. I, I don't think you can go wrong with him either. But when you have as good of pitchers as Verlander and Kershaw, there, I don't know. <laughs> so would you take Halliday third? I think I would, yes. Okay. So it's Halliday 33, Kershaw 33 bucks, Verlander 31. This is on a $260 budget for Roto Leagues. Cliff Lee $30, Felix Hernandez $25, Sabathia 25, Hamels 24. Yeah, the Phillies have a good pitching staff. Jared <laughs> Weaver 24, Lincecum 23, Zach Greinke is 10 at $23. Dan Harron 22. David Price, 21. Ian Kennedy, 21. James Shields, 21. Gallardo's 15th at 20. Matt Latos, 19. Beckett, or excuse me, Lester, 18. Beckett, uh, 
excuse me, Lester 17, Beckett 18. So Latos, Lester, Beckett, there we go. Madison Bumgarner 19, that's my boy. Steven Strasburg 20, it's $17. It's a very, very deep position. It's a deep list. What's your overall pitching strategy? Scott, I know you don't like to take your first pitcher until round 20 or so. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably exaggerating it a bit. Uh, Let's let's get into my tears a little because I think that will explain it best. Um, The elite, I have Verlander, Halliday, Kershaw. Uh, The second tier is um, a bunch of those other guys right after them. Really, the third tier is where I start to look to fill out the top of my pitching staff. And and that group includes Madison Bumgarner, Matt Latos, Matt Cain, Ricky Romero, Josh Johnson, Steven Strasburg, Josh Beckett, Michael Pineda, Adam Wainwright, Daniel Hudson, Matt Moore, Tommy Hansen, Hugh Darvish. The reason I, I draw the line there is because I think any of those guys could conceivably be legitimate aces at the end of the year, top 12 guys at the position. Read them again. Madison Bumgarner, Matt Latos, Matt Cain, Ricky Romero, Josh Johnson, Steven Strasburg, Josh Beckett, Michael Pineda, Adam Wainwright, Daniel Hudson, Matt Moore, Tommy Hansen, Hugh Darvish. After that, I feel like you you can't you you can trust they probably won't be an ace. Um, but before that, it, it's really it, it it's really kind of my way of lumping these three smaller tiers into one large tier so that I can load up on stud hitters early and still feel confident that I'm going to get a, a solid pitching staff when all said and done. So I, I know in, in, in one, uh, one roto draft we had, I, I waited till round eight to draft my first pitcher. I got Matt Cain and then Ricky Romero. I think it was round nine. Um, because they tend starting pitchers tend to go a little earlier in head-to-head leagues, and because you have so you have less position player spots to fill, I might go earlier than that. I, I depending on what's on the board, I have been known to reach occasionally into the tier ahead, get maybe a, a C.J. Wilson or a Giovanni Gallardo or an Ian Kennedy to be my ace, um, and then get like a, a Bum Garner or Michael Pineda. There's my number two guy. Usually, I'm, that that's about the fifth or sixth round when I do that. Uh, but any earlier than that, it's it's very rare I'll go for a starting pitcher. It has to be a bunch of those hitters who we've talked about on previous podcasts are are old or injury prone, and I, and I just don't see the value with them in the early rounds. That's the only situation where I'd go for a pitcher instead early. And I'm a little frightened here because I think I've come a little bit around to the, the Scott White philosophy, but I do think I'm going to be much more likely to pursue one of what I call the big four of Halliday, Kershaw, Verlander, and Lee. I think it's really important, and I think it's especially important in AL only or NL only and extra, extra important in NL only because there is pretty big drop-off from Halliday, Kershaw, Lee to, to the rest of the, the bunch there, you know, Hamels and, and then on. It's interesting that you include Lee in that group. Mm-hmm. And I th- and, you know, I definitely set him apart a bit. He's sort of you know one B to the other one A's because um, you know the the strikeout rate is something that's relatively new for him. The high strikeout rate. Um, there's a little bit more inconsistency with Lee, but I still think that when you look at where he's likely to go this year, um, or why I say likely to go, I mean what he's likely to produce. He's still a cut above um, the guys. You know, I've got Felix at number five. Um, from Felix on down, there's there's a lot of separation. So you like to have one of the, your big four. I really do. And again, especially in deeper leagues. Are you going to take one of those guys 
Well, let's say you're drafting toward the end of round one. Mm-hmm. Are you going to take um, Adrian Gonzalez or Roy Halladay? Well, head-to-head league, he won't be there. So let's say Adrian Gonzalez or um, Cliff Lee. I'm taking Adrian Gonzalez, but again, if I'm at the end of round one, um, I mean, if it's a bookend pick, obviously it doesn't matter if it's you know 12, but if it's 9, 10, 11, right. yeah, no, I'm going to take the hitter and then see who's, who's on the back end. And depending on you know, what's going on in outfield and other positions, that's probably the earliest I'm going to take uh, one of those guys. And obviously, if I don't take them then, I'm probably not taking them at all. Sure. But I have, I have gone that route in some of these early drafts where with my sec- early second round pick. I've gone with the starting pitcher. Now, how do you fill out the rest of your staff? Well, this is where I think you know Scott and I are pretty similar um, because I think that there's there's so much depth from say the number fifteen, sixteen, seventeen ranked pitcher on down that there's really no reason to to um, to reach at that point. So, you guys, neither of you would advocate loading up on awesome starting pitchers. No way, Jose. It, awesome awesome based on the rankings. I mean, you get the guys who you think are going to be awesome no, later in the Yeah, game. now what I have, I haven't loaded up on a bunch of guys that I think are number twos, but I have towards I've filled out my my staff with maybe a bunch of number 3s instead yeah. of waiting around for the 4s and 5s right. and and you know and again it's all a question of how well you've filled your other needs it's not a strategy I would go and say I've got to have three guys ranked between 35 and 45 but you know that is a nice way to build value if if you filled your other needs early um, yeah go ahead my drafts tend to follow a similar pattern it's six or seven rounds of hitters and then four or five rounds of pitchers and then kind of back and forth in, depending in on roto the and head to head in both leagues because obviously now, head to head the pitchers go earlier yeah um they're more valuable which is yeah. why the average draft positions i'm giving out their head to head some of these guys like lee might be a second rounder in roto um he's a first rounder in in head to head so if you hear the average draft positions and they sound a little high keep that in mind these are head to head adps go ahead scott i'm sorry not that I'm saying that pattern, it's a rule that I follow, but it just happens to work out that way with the way I build, like to build my offense and then the way I like to build my pitching staff that it, it kind of goes in spurts like that. Okay. Uh, I think if you're familiar with this podcast, if you've been listening, our stance on, on pitching is pretty clear. It's a deep position. We like to get the shallower hitting positions first in you know in most situations. So We'll move on from that. Are there other than the fact that in Roto you're going to wait longer on pitching? Are there players? Are there pitchers who are much better in either format? Al head to head versus Roto. Not a lot, and as I think we've pointed out in previous podcasts, for pitchers, really the probably the biggest variable here is innings. So somebody that you're concerned about, Scott mentioned Adam Wainwright. He's going to be more of a liability in head to head. Same with Steven Strasburg. Um, Tommy Hansen is somebody that I've uh, highlighted here as a guy who might be a little bit of a head-to-head liability just because of injury, recent injury history. Um, and then, you know, on the other side of that, if, if Chris Carpenter can put up huge innings again, he's going to have a lot more value in head-to-head than he will in, in rotisserie. But um, there's not too many pitchers where you're really going to have to change your rank order very much uh, by format. Dual position eligibility can be a very, very important thing in head-to-head. If you can get a great starting pitcher that's RP eligible and put him as one of your relievers, you're essentially going with six starters instead of five. Usually the standard format, five starters, two relievers. If you can get a Matt Moore. Now, Matt Moore is only RP eligible right now, right? To begin the year, yes. Five starts? Uh, I think that's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So this was like Alexio Gondo last year. Yes. Um, but it's fine because you want him to be your relief pitcher, not your starting pitcher, if you if you can get away with that. Yeah, that usually works out better. He and, and Corey Lubke are really the guys uh, to look at most. Both are breakout candidates for me. Lubke, you know, when he transitioned to the starting rotation last year, remained a, more than a strikeout per inning guy. Uh, great home ballpark to pitch in. And uh, he's eligible relief pitcher. Not not as not many great options after those two, though. Yeah, Kyle McClellan, Phil Coke, Carlos Villanueva, Marco Estrada, James Russell, Clay Hensley, Miguel Batista, Tim Wakefield, Felipe Paulino. Al, you kind of like yeah. Felipe Paulino, right? Um, you know, I did, but he's one of a few guys, also like Brandon Morrow, who I've, I've turned on viciously Ooh. this year. Okay. I've given given up uh, waiting for them to break out and, and surprise us. Now, there's a few more like Moore who aren't going to make that list because they're only RP eligible to mm-hmm. enter the season. and They're worth some attention in mixed leagues. Um, obviously, Neftali Feliz moving from the closer role. Chris Sale looks like he's going to be a starter for the White Sox. Daniel Bard. Um, Bard. Yep, Daniel Bard. And possibly Alfredo Aceves if he grabs that other open spot in Boston. And one more who I think might factor in mixed leagues is Aaron Crow. What about Chapman? Chapman's Chapman. kind of a wild card. I, I honestly don't expect him to make the rotation. I think they've got a solid five already, including Homer Bailey in that group. So let um, me just read this list and you tell me who you like best. Neftali Feliz, Aroldis Chapman, Chris Sale, Aaron Crow, Alfredo Aceves, Daniel Bard. Who do you like best, Al? Feliz. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Who's second? Uh, I'm going to say Sale right now. Bard has the potential to jump to second if he proves he can handle the role this spring. But I'll, for now, I'll say Sale. So do you like Chris Sale or Johan Santana? I like Chris Sale. Yeah, um, okay. I just... You know, I want to see more from Santana and make sure that he can get through the spring healthy. Let's talk about some of the studs. Which elite or close to elite guys are you afraid of this year? Who are you avoiding? I got a name right off the top of that. Uh, Scott and I were just talking about Jared Weaver. Uh, really? I just think he's really overrated at this point because between the fact that he had a big strikeout uh, surge two seasons ago that people got very excited about, he went right back to a very average strikeout rate last year, but people overlooked that because he had a sub two ERA in the first half. You know, a lot of Cy Young buzz around Jared Weaver, and I just think uh, he's going to regress this year. the The strikeout rate, there's not a reason to expect that to, to surge back up. And and meanwhile, uh, I just think he's going to give up a lot more hits on balls in play and, uh, and strand a lot more ba- or strand fewer base runners. And yeah. you're going to see his. Uh, I mean, he's fine as a number two guy. I'm not buying him as an ace this year. What's his average draft position? Second round in head-to-head league. Average. Right after Felix Hernandez, before Tim Lincecum. Yeah, I would not yeah. draft him anywhere close see, to that See, early. the thing about it is I don't really disagree with any of what you said. I think he's more a 7.5 strikeout per nine inning guy than a strikeout per nine inning guy. But that's still that's still good enough to me. I consider anything 7 per nine or higher good enough. Um, and you know he's going to pitch 220-plus innings, which... You know, a lot of these other pitchers, I, I don't think Cole Hamels has ever done it. Um, uh, I don't think John Lester has done it. Hamels or Weaver? I would take Weaver because I trust him to be more durable. Al. The thing, And I'll take Hamels because I don't have concerns about Hamels' durability, and, and he will give you a strikeout per inning or close to it. 
I mean, Hamill spent time on the DL just last year. So, you know, just looking at Jared Weaver's, even if you, even if you include the strikeout rate in there, to me, he's he's basically Matt Cain, except you know he's going to have a much better offense backing him, so you don't have to worry about him getting stuck in that dozen win range. And and to me, that makes him a clear ace. That's fine because that was exactly the same comp I was was thinking of with him. And in both cases, you have to do something else to boost your value. Both of them are you know very good at getting getting a lot of flyouts, you know, substituting for strikeouts. But I still think both of those guys actually are going to regress a bit this year. Who's a guy you're afraid of, Scott? An elite guy? Uh, we, you say elite? Uh, yeah, like a number one. Yeah, I'll go with John Lester. Not so much that I'm afraid of him, but I would be... Th- there's a lot of, of those elite pitchers I'd take over him. Because you look, last year his strikeout rate was down from the previous two years. Uh, walks have always been an issue for him. He, he's kind of, you know, not like he's walking a batter every other inning, but uh, Lester's walk rate has been kind of high for an ace, which causes him to, his innings to be down over the course of a season. And his whip, you look at, you know, he, he got by with those great strikeout rates that still made him an ace, but his whip has always been in the 1.2 range. And to me, that's not ace worthy. So if you don't trust him to be that elite, elite strikeout guy, then to me, he's not quite an ace. A great number two, but not quite an ace. Who are you targeting? Who's someone you really like, Al, in the, the number one pitcher category? Number one pitcher, and obviously not the, you know, I talked about my big four, so, but, you know, obviously I'm, I'm going to miss out on them in a, in a good number of drafts. Doesn't have to be, you know what, it could be a number and, two guy who you think is going to become. Well, th- you know, no, that's okay, because there's a couple of, of guys that I've targeted as aces, backup ace plans, and they are Hamels. And Zach Granke. Okay. You know, I, I like the strikeouts, um, and particularly in Hamill's case, I like like his approach over the last couple of years of getting more ground ball outs, so he's not going to be a home run liability even pitching in Philadelphia. And Scott? Are we just, we're just talking about aces here. Yeah, top 20 guys, something like that. We're, we're making up the rules as we go here, but nothing too far down the list. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't really target any of them. That's true. But if you <laughs> if you were diff- if you were a different human being, <laughs> I think Granky's a guy who's undervalued because his ERA was inflated by when he first came back from that broken rib. His strikeout rate is awesome, and I, I think he's a definite ace. Guys, I I do end up getting from this range sometime are Ian Kennedy, just because he falls beyond them, and and I think he's totally legit. Um, and, and C.J. Wilson, we we have back-to-back years now of great numbers from Wilson. His ERA outside of Texas last year was below three, and and now obviously he's going to be pitching outside of Texas constantly. Oh, that's so, a good point. You might be selling me on him a little bit. I, I really think Wilson is an ace who people are skeptical of him for no reason. The thing about Wilson was he was just as likely to have a two-strikeout game as a ten-strikeout game, you know? He would have these really weird lines. But second half of the season, that kind of went away. He was a little bit more consistent there. C.J. Wilson Wilson or James Shields? I'll still take James Shields over him. He's one of the elite inning guy, innings guys. Okay. Um, let me ask you about Felix Hernandez, Al. 15th last year in head-to-head, 17th amongst starters in Roto, and I believe Kimbrell was also ahead of him, uh, the only reliever. He was, you know, 14-14, 3.47 ERA, 222 strikeouts, and 233 and two-thirds. 
but 15th last year in head to head and he's 6th in our in our rankings. So why do you like him so much? Um well, first of all, I mean, I, I do like him. I don't, you know, I think last year I had some expectations that he could maybe win back-to-back Cy Youngs, that he would be a, a guy in the conversation for number one. I don't see him that way anymore. He, two years in a row, he's really been the same pitcher in terms of strikeouts, walks, ground balls, all that kind of stuff. Um, but he's, he has had some, some fluctuation. You know, that's probably just luck and, and you know, look, pitchers that's what they do i mean that's why we don't put a lot of stock in in going after reaching for pitchers too early because there's so much fluctuation that a guy that you don't think much of could could rise up so but getting back to felix um i do think he's a guy who because he's got the consistent skill set that's you know great command you know pitching in in seattle is the double-edged sword of not many wins but not many home runs um you know, but I think he's going to do better this season with with strand rate, and uh, you know that makes him a solid number one guy again. Uh, Hernandez or Sabathia? Uh, yeah, I think I like Felix's upside a little bit there. Very close though, Scott. I'll take Sabathia just because of the consistency, and and I see him as one of the elite innings guys. Not that Hernandez isn't, right. but just it's been more consistent for Sabathia. Josh Beckett. Here we go. Stat of the day. He has struggled in even-numbered years since coming to the Red Sox in 2006. His 2006 ERA was 5.01. It was 4.03 in 2008 with only 12 wins. In 2010, it was 5.78. What is going on in 2012 for Josh Beckett? This is one of my very few bust candidates at the position and it's not so much because of that pattern it's just because of the general inconsistency with him and the injuries he's dealt with back issues in recent years um i don't even remember what he had going on last year was it back or, or yeah i think so i honestly don't remember and that's kind of the problem with him is yeah, it's one thing it's or one, another exactly <laughs> exactly i don't trust him to get 200 innings at all and because of that that line you just read, I don't know that his nets, his other numbers are, are going to be ace-like either. So I think he's he he has to be drafted in the same range as, as the Matt Keynes and, and Michael Pineda's of the world. But I actually trust guys like that more than Beckett. What about Steven Strasburg? Would you take him over Beckett? And could he be unbelievable this year, Al? Yes, he could be unbelievable this year. I probably would take him over Beckett because there's enough inconsistency in injury history with Beckett that I'm just scared to reach for him or, or even, I think, take him where maybe he's projected to fall because of the risk factor. Strasburg, there's the risk of uncertainty, but the upside's so high. I think you got you just got to reach for him uh, in, you know, in that Beckett part of the draft. He is 20th in our rankings, and he is going... On average, I'm not sure why I don't see him here. I will take a look. Sorry. Oh, he's going in the fifth round right after C.J. Wilson, right before Michael Pineda. Um, Moving on. Trevor Cahill, 51st in our rankings. Which Cahill will show up? First half Cahill, 312 ERA before the All-Star break, or second half Cahill, 580 ERA after? Keep in mind he's on Arizona now, and he was horrible on the road, ERA of 5.23. Now, as I recall, Podcast League, I got him from you, right? Yeah, for just yeah, I, I own second half Cahill without the fun <laughs> of owning first half Cahill, and yet I'm still expecting something much, much closer to first half Cahill. You are? Yeah. Well, interesting. It, I am too. Why? I, I, I have no I this, faith in him now going to Arizona. I think the stuff Arizona. is good. Um, obviously, he has the pedigree going to the weaker league. Uh, I I just think uh, I think the first half was closer to the 
pitcher Cahill can be. I mean, look what he did two years ago. All right, he's going to be my told you so pitcher. Yeah. He's going to be the you guy. You that trademarked? It is now. Uh, <laughs> but the thing about it, too, is you can get him for so late. I yeah. mean, why not be optimistic? And he's got that profile like of a guy who's young, he's pre-peak, and he's shown you glimmers of excellence in different areas at different times. And a lot of times, pitchers like that will put it all together. I think this is the year that Cahill does it. Two guys who were really good late in the year, Matt Garza, Matt Latos. They finished pretty poorly in the rankings last year, but they're 22nd and 23rd, Garza and Latos in our rankings. And after the All-Star break, both of them were very, very solid. Um, who do you like better, Garza or Latos? Latos, because I, I feel, not that I dislike Garza, but I feel like Latos' struggles early were, were partially carryover from uh, an arm issue he had in spring training. And once he got going, he was basically the guy he was two years ago, plus with the Reds, a divi- uh, contender for the division there, going to get much better run support. Win-loss record was a main reason he was down in the rankings. He's going to be a winner this year. And to me, um, ju- is he part of that group? Yeah, he's part of that group for me mm-hmm. where, I, where I start going for my aces. He's pretty high in that group too. Wow. Al, what do you make of the Rangers pitchers? Darvish, Holland, Lewis, who do you like the best? I tell you, I like Darvish the best because I think Holland still got some things to prove. He was very good in the second half last year, but overall extremely inconsistent last year. And Lewis uh, scares me a bit, uh, just gave up way too many home runs last year. And there was a big home road split, but he's still pitching in Texas. So uh, I'll, I'll go with Darvish and his great track record in Japan. Darvish or, Darvish or Masterson? Uh, probably Masterson because he's shown to be a very reliable, possibly number two guy uh, as a major leaguer, whereas Darvish, we still have to see how his stuff is going to translate. That's not liking that one. It's not that I don't like it. I, I believe in Masterson, too. He might be one of the more underrated he pitchers. He is very underrated. He's, he's mm-hmm. going in the late rounds. Yeah. I, I wanted to write about him in my underrated column, but he's going so late, i got to save him for the late round column. <laughs> <laughs> so I think for that reason alone, I'd definitely take Darvish and then hope to get Masterson later. Uh, but I believe in both. Darvish or Josh Johnson? Josh, Josh Johnson. Yeah, go with the guy who's I, done it before. I really think he's going to be an ace, and you obviously don't have to draft him like one this year, but I fully expect it. In fact, I've taken that strategy in the draft this year where I waited on him. I didn't get a, the great number one pitcher I wanted and then took Johnson later figuring he's going to be my ace. Darvish or the big, overweight Michael Pineda who was throwing <laughs> 91 miles per hour yesterday? Well, it is early in spring training, Adam Azer. <laughs> I'd take Pineda. Pineda yeah. Again, he's shown he can do it already. Which Braves pitcher are you taking first this year? Uh, uh, to me, that's Hanson. Yeah. I mean, it's it, got, it would have been interesting if Tim Hudson yeah. hadn't needed the, mm-hmm. the back surgery. But with him likely to miss at least a month, uh, you know, Hanson's got injury concerns of his own. But obviously the higher upside, and he's actually pitching or He's about to start pitching. So, how are you feeling about Vance Worley this year, Al? I think it's a little zig and zag here because last year he was so underrated and people doubted him. And uh, you know, I think you know maybe he's coming in a little bit overrated this year. But um, I, I look, I, I like him as a as a late round guy. Forty eighth in our rankings. Yeah, and and that's really fine. I was just going to say maybe a really low end number four if you do the math. That's yeah, exactly that where he winds up. I'm going to draft him as a number five though. Cahill or Worley? 
Cahill or Worley? Oh, Cahill uh, by a big margin. Worley or Fister? Uh, I think Fister by a pretty small margin. <laughs> Worley or Clay Buckholtz, Scott? I'll take Buckholtz. All right. Worley's, Worley, to me, is one of those guys who, after all the other guys you like are gone and he's still there, okay, then you take him. He's better than I thought he was a year ago, no question. But, it's again, we have to kind of recalibrate our expectations, and he's not going to be as good as he was. We got a lot to get to and not that much time left, so <laughs> let's try this. We'll go with the average draft position in head-to-head leagues. I'll go round by round, 1 through 15, and you tell me if anybody stands out as a good or a bad pick. If nobody stands out, we'll just move on. Round one, Halliday, Verlander, Kershaw, Lee. little early for Lee. Okay. Yeah. Round two, Sabathia, Felix Hernandez, Weaver, Lincecum. We know too early for Weaver for, for Al. Yeah. Anything else, Scott? I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see any of them go at that point. Earlier than I'd take them, obviously. <laughs> Round three, Heron, Hamels, Greinke, Price, Kennedy. Kennedy in round three? That Very, does, yeah. that round does three, sound round four. early to me. Not that... Not that I don't think he's comparable to those names, but I, I feel like... Is that average draft position? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I feel like I've seen him fall to the fifth round in some of our expert mocks. So He could have been in the fourth round, you know, is right on, the, yeah. right on the cusp. Round four, Lester, Gallardo, Shields, Josh Johnson, Kane. Um, I, I'd, I'd say Kane is maybe the one who is a little bit high there, but that that seems pretty good to me. I'm surprised to see Johnson going that high. I don't have a problem with it. Wainwright, in round five here, Wainwright, C.J. Wilson, Strasburg, Pineda, Daniel Hudson, Darvish. I would expect C.J. Wilson to go earlier than he's going. Okay, round the five, others, good value there. Comparatively to the other pitchers here, yes. Um, but the others seem fine. Round six, Romero, Latos, Beckett, Bumgarner, Carpenter. <laughs> I think probably both agree. Beckett, uh, I would uh, go for one of those other guys before Beckett. I also think it's it's very early for Carpenter. Round seven, Gio Gonzalez, Matt Garza, Tommy Hansen. Uh, that, that's, that's a case, I think. Again, I, I pay more attention to the pitchers who've gone than the actual round itself. This is a, a way to get Hansen at a value, I think. There's a danger in drafting him, but if you get him beyond what the other what the other aces have already gone off the board, then it's a good value. Round eight, Ubaldo Jimenez, Irvin Santana. I like Santana a little better than Jimenez here. Not a big problem with either pick. Round nine, Anibal Sanchez, Brandon Beachy, Hellickson. Uh, I think that's appropriate. I like I like Anibal better than both Ubaldo and Irvin Santana. So they I kind of I kind of feel like those rounds should switch. Okay. Round 10, Fister, Jordan Zimmerman, two ends. Cueto, Lukey. Way too early for Fister, in my opinion. Um, Otherwise, yeah, I like it. Round 11, Jaime Garcia, Max Scherzer, Masterson, Holland, Buckholtz. Oh, I think round 11 for Masterson. <laughs> that's not what <laughs> I like him that's not the answer the I came up with <laughs> no but it's, to look it's at it true again. I mean he just in the drafts I've seen um, you know in what the auction we did he just kept falling and not not highly valued um, alright anyway round 12 Tim Hudson Kuroda Brandon Morrow Cahill Sean Markham I w- it won't be me drafting Brandon Morrow anywhere close to the 12th round <laughs> I'm also shy on Markham now I wasn't a couple days ago uh, Hudson could wind up being a nice value there despite the time missed. Kuroda and Cahill are fine. 
Round 13, Kobe Lewis, Vance Worley, Jair Jurgens. Um, I think, again, it seems appropriate compared to the pitchers who've gone off the board, but round 13 is too early. <laughs> I like my it. Taste. I'm looking at ahead to round 14. I think I like almost yeah. all those guys better. Yeah. Most of them anyway. Wandy Rodriguez, John Danks, Yolisha Seen, Liriano, Burley, Ivan Nova, Johan Santana, round 15, Oswald, Brandon McCarthy, Jake Peavy, Chad Billingsley, Ryan Dempster, Edwin Jackson. Two big sleeper uh, alerts there. Round 15, those, these guys are going that late. Brandon McCarthy could really outperform that by a big margin. And uh, Ryan Dempster as well. Now, when, when you calculated this, you divided by 12, yes, right? Yes. Did you use the actual draft like, position? Like or the guys who were, it, who were drafted between 169 and 180, they made it to round 15. I know what I'm doing here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just feel like I got different answers. I'll, I'll well, go, I'll go check my work. The bottom of a, <laughs> oh, you mean on ADP you got different answers? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's not good. Now, no, I did. I mean, this morning is what I saw. The bottom of our head-to-head rankings, we have a lot of inexperienced pitchers. Tell me who stands out to you uh, from this list. Three guys on Oakland. Tommy Malone, Brad Peacock, Jared Parker. Tampa Bay's Alex Cobb, Detroit's Jacob Turner, Colorado's Drew Pomeranz. Who are you taking a shot on? Pomeranz first out of this group. I think he's got the best shot to be on the opening day roster. I think he's got the best shot to accumulate innings. Um, and maybe the highest upside of, of any of these guys anyway. Um, I love Cobb, but I think he could wind up spending most of the year in the minors. I like Peacock and Parker, the Oakland duo for mixed leagues also. I think both of them have a pretty good chance of making the opening day rotation. Uh, Peacock, I mean, Parker obviously higher upside, but Peacock, I could see him being uh, a Brandon Beachy-like surprise. Maybe not quite to that extent, but a surprise. And Tommy Malone is a guy who... I could see getting picked up in head-to-head leagues at some point this season. Uh, really good numbers in the minors, not much of a pedigree. Could be a surprise. Let's go with sleepers, breakouts, and busts. Scott, you want to start with your sleepers, all 75 of them? Well, we just talked about a lot of them. Good. Uh, so my highest in sleeper, I'm actually going to say Chris Carpenter, and not so much because of his average draft position we looked at, but because I see him falling in a lot of the drafts I've been in just because he's so old. But you got to remember, uh, his strikeout rate actually improved last year. And after a 1-7 start, he had a 273 ERA over his final 19 starts. So I think he still has a lot left. Um, Scott Baker looked like he had turned the corner last year before some elbow troubles. Uh, as a late rounder, I think he's great. Phil Hughes, I still think there's a lot of potential there. And the Yankees pretty much cleared the fifth spot for him as long as Freddie Garcia doesn't sneak back into that mix. Ryan Dempster, uh, this is kind of a, a Chris Carpenter type thing going on with him last year. From the beginning of May till his second to last start, he had a 359 ERA, was still striking out, still had a good strikeout rate. Now, his last start, he allowed nine earned runs, but I'll just throw that out for the sake of this argument. <laughs> um, Mike Leake uh, was Pitching deep into games last year, I think he's about ready to be a 200-inning guy with a good walk rate. Henderson Alvarez, who I know is a player Al loves, good walk rate for a young guy and throws hard enough that I think the strikeouts could improve. Um, And then 
kind of a deeper guy, more of an NL only guy. Eric Bedard, I think, is getting overlooked considering how well he pitched when he was healthy last season. You know, you've got to expect him to miss some time, but he'll contribute this year. You want to read your list again, just the names? Yeah, Chris Carpenter, Scott Baker, Phil Hughes, Ryan Dempster, Mike Lee, Kenderson Alvarez, Eric Bedard. All right, sleepers, right? So John Lester, one pretty bad month last year. Take that out. He's John Lester. He's borderline number one guy. Anibal Sanchez, Irvin Santana. I feel like based on early mocks, people aren't really buying into the change last year, but both improved pitchers like them this year uh, to uh, outperform the draft position. And uh, then some, some deeper guys, Homer Bailey, as Scott alluded to earlier, I think he will be the number five starter. Lots of signs there that he will take a step forward this year, became a very efficient pitcher. Jonathan Sanchez, another one, about a bad month last year. You live with the walks. He'll give you the strikeouts. He'll he'll get the fly ball outs. Uh, good, good whip guy. Um, Jonathan uh, Sanchez, a good whip guy. You know, I, as, as that came out of my <laughs> as I came out of my mouth, that was oversold. Okay, but because you're right, he's not a good whip guy, but a better whip guy than his walk rate would, would lead you would to lead believe. You believe. So thank you for pulling <laughs> me back down to earth there. Um, Bartolo Colon, I know a guy that you hated last year, but in Oakland, I like a fly ball guy in Oakland. I think he could be really, really. I liked him for a little while. Two days? <laughs> he was good for. He was. He was really good in the months. first half. Yeah. I, I worry a little bit durability with Colon, but I think he could be a really surprise, a uh, good surprise in Oakland. Edinson Volk has also a good venue change to San Diego. Uh, Yin Chen, uh, the Orioles, uh, some nice Japan, Japanese league numbers there. Uh, Henderson Alvarez, we already mentioned. Randy Wells and Philip Umber, potential head-to-head stud. Want to read your list again? Surely. John Lester, Anibal Sanchez, Irvin Santana, Homer Bailey, Jonathan Sanchez, Bartolo Colon, Edinson Volquez, Yin Chen, Henderson Alvarez, Randy Wells, Philip Umber. Okay. Breakouts, Al? Breaking out with Jordan Zimmerman, who looked like he was a breakout guy last year. I think the the strikeouts will continue to increase. Jaime Garcia, uh, another guy who I think will just you know put it all together this year. Uh, we talked about Trevor Cahill, like his breakout potential. Jonathan Nice, couple years building towards uh, what looks like breakout status, and I'm all broken out. Zimmerman, Garcia, Cahill, and Nice. You got it, Scott. Bumgarner, who I know Boom. is a guy you like a lot. Mm-hmm. I think he pretty much already did broke out other than break out other than win loss record. Uh, Matt Moore. Now that I know they're not going to limit his innings, if he pitches 200 innings, he might already be an ace as a rookie. Anibal Sanchez again. That was kind of a win loss record thing. Um, didn't get much help last year. Obviously, going to get a lot more, and I think uh, could approach. The second tier of starting pitchers. Uh, Lube Key I like over a full season. Brandon Morrow, I feel like it's a bad rap because of his ERA, but he, I feel like he made strides last year. Walk rate lowest of his career. Maintained the ridiculous strikeout rate, and I think uh, is finally going to break out this year. Bumgarner, Matt Moore, Anibal Sanchez, Corey Lube Key, Brandon Morrow. Those are Scott's breakouts. Al, your busts. All right, we've talked about Jared Weaver. I like him, just not as much as... People are in early drafts. Matt Kane also talked about, I think, a little bit of, of regression for him, so he might be getting overdrafted. Brandon Morrow looked like a big-time breakout guy last year. I loved the strikeouts. Figured he'd improve the strand rate. The strand rate got worse. And when you see guys do this in repeated years, that means that they just may not 
pitch well out of the stretch. And, and I think that could be the key. very, very risky to go after uh, after Morrow. Ryan Vogelsong, not buying the first half performance. I think even the second half might have been a little inflated. Uh, Ricky Nolasco, again, another guy who just gets into jams, can't get out of them. Uh, I've seen that act year after year. Uh, I've pretty much given up on Ricky Nolasco. And uh, those are my biggest busts. All right, Weaver's more like Oh, and a, Fister, I skipped over. Weaver's more like a number two guy, maybe. Kane's overrated. Brandon Morrow, Vogelsong, Nolasco, and Fister. And Scott? Not many names here. Josh Beckett was one. I only have one more. And the reason why is because I feel like when I talk about busts, where they're getting drafted is important to me. And, and most of these pitchers, I feel like, are drafted in an appropriate spot, a spot I'd take them. Uh, but the one guy who isn't, and it's going to blow your mind, Steven Strasburg. Really? Fifth round in both head-to-head and Roto. And to me, knowing he's limited to 100, oh man, now I'm forgetting, 160 innings, right? Yes. That's not even close to an ace number. I think it'll be great when he's out there, but when you've got these known 200-inning pitchers who are also great in that same range, I would definitely take one of them instead. I mean, there's just there's just a limit on what uh, Strasburg can do with that innings limit, and uh, that's that's a great point. What if he gets hurt again? I mean, all, when he's already limited like that, you might end up getting. I, I just don't see how he lives up to that draft spot. All right, we're going to come back tomorrow with AL only and NL only starting pitchers to, to look at, and we'll do our relief pitchers podcast. Thanks a lot for listening to us ramble. Send us your emails for the Podcast League, fantasybaseball at cbsinteractive.com. Put Podcast League in the subject line, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.